Oh, man. All right. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for um, just a wonderful time to gather, to come together, to worship you. Um, I pray that you would bless us as we consider your word, that you would give us um, hearts to hear you speaking um, and courage to listen and um, to act on your word. Give us hope in you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in a series on Revelation. Um, and on Easter, we talked about Revelation chapter 1. And we had this picture of Jesus, which is depicted um, a lot. If you just look up Jesus in Revelation, like I do a Google search on that, there's, you're just going to get a ton of pictures. Um, so this is one. Um, it's cool. It's got the golden lamp stands and seven stars in his hands. And, you know, that's it's one depiction of what John uh, might have seen based on his description. Um, but uh, we talked about the glory of God, his brilliance and his majesty um, in being king, the victorious king in Revelation. Um, and then from there, we've been going through the churches of, of Revelation, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, and so we talked about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and tonight we are talking about Sardis. Um, and before we get to Sardis, before we get to that, I just want to talk a little bit about um, parenthood. This is my son, Thomas. Uh, he fell this week um, and scraped up his face. Um, and then he got an ice cream cone. Yep, and got just chocolate all over his face. Um, so I, t- today is Mother's Day. Um, and because it's Mother's Day, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about being a parent, um, because parenting has been a wonderful journey. It's been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed the last six years with my, with my oldest daughter. Um, it's also, I just have to tell you that parenting is really gross, like really gross guys. Like, it's just, there's, like, stuff everywhere. It's, it's sticky. And um, so Rod, uh, Pastor Rod, told me when, when my daughter was going to be, my first daughter was going to be born. Um, and I think he's actually said it from up here in the pulpit. He said, um, you will never know, you will never understand what your wife's body goes through to carry a baby, to give birth, and to care for that baby. You will never know. You will never understand what that's like as as the father. So to care for your wife, what you need to do is change as many diapers as you possibly can. As many diapers as you possibly can. And so I have changed at least one diaper every day, like almost every day for four and a half of the last six years. And it's gross. And stuff gets everywhere. And like, there's like, and you know, like little babies especially don't understand when their diaper's not on. So like, they just go. And poop gets like all over you and pee. And then they throw up. And it's, it's really gross, guys. Like, it's really gross. And you get to, like, I, I care for my kids. And I clean them up. 
Um, but I've had every manner of something on my person and on my clothes, and I have been dirty and gross again and again and again. So I was thinking about that this week as I was going through this passage. I thought, you know, like my parents had to do this with me when I was little. And I did these things. There's a story about me peeing on my oldest cousin um, that my dad likes to tell whenever, that she likes to tell whenever she's around. Whenever I see her, she likes to tell this story about how I peed on her. Like, my parents had to deal with this with me. But also the reality is, is that I, as a follower of Jesus, am a child of God. And as a child of God, he is my heavenly father, and he has to deal with me as his child in all my messiness, all my grossness, all my soiledness, in every way that I um, am broken and sinful, I walk around and I am messy and dirty and gross. And my Heavenly Father comes alongside me and cares for me and cleans me and walks with me. And I want you to hold on to that for a minute. I want you to hold on to that as we go in and learn some more about uh, the church in Sardis and read, read this letter to the church of Sardis. So, uh, here are, here's my, my lovely mother and her sister, my Aunt Linda. And I told you a couple weeks ago, my mom and my sister and my aunt and uncle went on a tour of the seven churches of Revelation in Turkey um, like four years ago. They went to Turkey, and they went to all of these places um, where these cities like, currently are or were. Um, and they, So I've got all these great pictures of Sardis, and I'm really glad that I get to preach on Sardis and not Thyatira last week um, because my mom said that there's like no, you don't get like cool ruin pictures of Thyatira. It's just like a modern city now. So you don't, you don't get like any, any cool like, archaeological pictures or anything. So here's, here's some cool pictures of Sardis. So here's, um, that's my sister next to these massive, massive columns in Sardis. Um, here's a big courtyard, and there's a, a beautiful um, mosaic. Um, there's a big building in a field of green. This is, uh, an, I was, we decided that this is an urn this morning. I don't know if there's a better word for that. Um, let's settle on the dog. This is cool. I like the dog. So Sardis, um, Sardis is a, uh, was a wealthy city, a very wealthy city. It was very strategically placed. Um, they had a good trade in dyed wool. Um, but Sardis is also this, uh, Sardis was the capital of the Lydian Empire. How many of you have ever heard of the Lydian Empire before? Yes? All right, we got one person. All right, Cool. So the Lydian Empire, which I had, I was like, okay, great. The Lydian Empire had this king, and he was the king in Sardis, and he decided that he was going to go to war against Cyrus of Persia. If you remember the Old Testament, Cyrus of Persia is king; is the king in Persia when the people of Israel are in exile in, in Babylon. And Babylon gets taken over by Persia, all that. So you can go back and read that. That's all right. It doesn't matter right now, but this guy... The king of Sardis went to battle against Persia and just got annihilated. And the entire city 
was um, raised. And so we don't have a ton of like archaeological evidence of like archaeological stuff of, of uh, Sardis during that time, during the Lydian Empire, which is maybe why we don't know about the Lydian Empire. Um, but then Sardis is rebuilt. It's in a strategic location. And in comes Alexander the Great and, and Greekifies um, Sardis. And then the Romans come in. Um, and in, when Jesus was a teenager, around AD 17, there's a massive earthquake in this area. And Sardis is destroyed again. And Emperor Tiberius comes in and says, um, you don't have to pay any taxes for five years, and I'm going to pay to rebuild your city. So a lot of the ruin, a lot of these things that we just saw are from around that time, built around the time um, when Jesus was growing up as a teenager. So that's kind of cool. Um, so Sardis is this really wealthy city. It's in a strategic location, and it's also just kind of passed through hands over the years. Um, and that's really, there's not a ton that we know about Sardis, other than this is wealthy, it's a Roman city. They had these giant columns, a lot of um, a lot of big structures paid for by the emperor, um, and that's Sardis. Let's find out more about Sardis, though, from our passage about Sardis when John was writing to them. So, chapter three, verse one: To the angel of the church in Sardis, write. So pause there for a second. Remember, angel um, is the messenger. It's the person who carried God's word. So the, the carrier of God's word in Sardis is probably like the bishop or the, the leader of the church in Sardis, the person who carried God's word um, to the people. This is the angel of the church in Sardis. Right. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So Jesus introduces himself to all of these churches, to each church. He introduces himself. He says, um, in this case, he uses, each one uses a picture from chapter one. Um, in this case, it's the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So the seven spirits, um, we can look at Isaiah chapter 11 and talk about the seven gifts of the spirit, if you'd like to go read that. Um, but the seven spirits is really, it's, it's the sevenfold spirit of God and seven is used throughout Revelation, it's used throughout the Bible as a number of, of wholeness. It's a complete number. So the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God, refers to the wholeness of God. Jesus holds the wholeness of God, the completeness of God in him. And the seven stars are, chapter 1 tells us, they're the, the angels, the seven angels of the churches. Um, the seven people, the seven carriers of God's word, the messengers of God's word. So Jesus says, I have the wholeness of God, the completeness of God in me, and I hold those who carry the word to you. So what Jesus, how Jesus introduces him to himself to Sardis. He says, I am complete and whole in God, and I hold the people who carry the word to you. And then Eric last week said, we've, we've got a handle on how this goes, right? Jesus introduces himself, and then he offers an encouragement, and then he offers a rebuke, and then he offers an, an exhortation. If you are victorious, then 
something, something, something. So we have, he introduces himself, encouragement, rebuke, exhortation. And I love that he said that last week, that we've got this down, because that's not how it goes with Sardis. I know your deeds. This is the very next line. There's no encouragement to the church in Sardis. No encouragement. He just says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Reputation. We have, we have this, we know what reputation is, right? In our, in our culture especially, we want a good reputation. And we hold that um, in front of ourselves. So especially we see in, on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and well, it started with Facebook, I guess. It's more like TikTok and Instagram now. Um, but there's, a, there's a, a presentation of yourself to the world, right? This is who I want you to see about myself. I want you to see that I have it all together, that I get to eat at this uh, coffee shop every morning or that I, you know, I, I get to go to these places or that I have a, a wonderful relationship with my spouse. Let me tell you all about how wonderful my spouse is. And I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to present that to you on my, on my Instagram or wherever else. I'm going to present a particular way so that you see me in a, in a particular way. Sometimes that involves, uh, I want you to see the ways where I, I want you to see the particular ways where I suffer. I'm, I'm suffering and I want to present that to you in a particular way, in a very clean, formulated way so that you feel a particular way about me. It's not just social media. We do this in, in the way we interact with one another. We come in here and we say, how are you doing? Good. Good, I'm good. Oh, great, okay, cool. Let's, let's uh, go, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to go any farther than that. I am, I'm doing well, it was a good week. I had fun, that's it. I don't want to go any deeper than that. I want to hold my mask in front of you and say, this is who I am. This is my reputation. And Jesus says, I know your reputation. You have a reputation of being alive. And to be alive, this idea of alive is the idea of animation. You are animated by the spirit. Eric, in our, in our uh, uh, was it radical following I think we talked about, in the Radical Discipleship series, we talked about this idea of um, the uh, zombies. So, like, we wander around this world, and we're zombies. And we kind of, we walk around, we're, we just look to consume things, and we're nev we don't pay attention to where we're going. We just, we're dead to the world. And we want to consume and consume, right? And to be animated, to be alive, is to be animated by the Spirit. To not be motivated by that but to be motivated by a following of Christ. He says, you're not animated. You don't have eternal animation <laughs> in the spirit. You are dead. You're dead. We have a tree in my backyard, um, and this tree is, is it's this beautiful big tree. This is this mesquite. And a couple of years ago in a windstorm, one of this, this giant branch just came 
all the way down and broke off the tree and ripped off a big section of the, the branch next to it. So the whole branch had to come off, and then the tree people came, and they said, we can do two things. We can take this branch that got damaged by the one falling, and we can take that one off too, and the tree may or may not survive. We don't know if the tree will survive because it's so we, you're losing so much of this tree. And, um, or we can take a cable and we can cable this damaged limb to the rest of the tree and this, the tree will live another 10 years. But then it'll die because this, the damage is too much. This tree may live for another 10 years, but it, it's going to die. There's this tree in my backyard that is literally just, I mean, we cabled up the branch, but it's dying. And we're trying to figure out where to plant a new tree soon so that that tree can grow up and provide shade when this tree dies. It has a reputation of being live. It, it leafs out. It's full of leaves and, and seeds and it's grown. It's like big and the other branches are growing, but this tree is, is dying. It's going to die. I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Um, my father was here this morning. I, I told a story about when I was, um, another way to picture this. When I first moved, um, to Tucson, I went to Pima, and I was taking classes at Pima Community College, and I, um, my dad was paying for me to take these classes, and for two years, I took classes at Pima Community College, and I signed up for different ones, and I went to my dad, and I said, yeah, it's going great, I'm doing really well, um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm taking a writing class, and I'm taking a I don't know, a math class and, you know, this history class. I've got to do the, like my prereqs and all this stuff and have this conversation with my dad. And he's paying for all these classes. Um, and and um, I didn't want to tell him that I was just not going to class. And I either failed or dropped out of basically every class I was taking for two years. Um. I didn't want to tell my dad because I had also just flunked out of my first year of college when I moved to Tucson. So every semester I told him, oh yeah, I'm doing great. And meanwhile, I was depressed sitting at home. I was working at Starbucks, sitting at home, playing video games. Um, and that was, when, I, when that came out, you know, it was, it was this, I, I presented something to my dad. Everything is good. Everything is going well. When in reality, everything was dying and broken and not working. And I, my dad and I have, have worked through that um, over the years. And it's been part of our relationship to rebuild a lot of the trust that was lost, especially during that season. But this is what we do. We offer something to the world to protect the broken and dying places and the church in, Thy in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, is, this is what they're doing. They have a reputation with the people around them, with the city, of being alive. But they're not alive. They're dead. They do not have animation in the spirit. 
So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. You're dying. You're dead. You need to wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now, this is the NIV translation, which uses unfinished. Um, there's another, a couple other translations that use not completed. Um, as this word, this Greek word, um, I, I really, I don't like either of those translations. And they're the only ones I could find, and I'm not sure why. Because every other place, this word is translated as filled or fulfilled. The idea here is not that the deeds, the works are unfinished or not completed. It's that the people of Sardis, the followers of Jesus in Sardis, are not full of the work of the Spirit. They're not full of the work of the Spirit in the sight of God. They may be going around and, and doing some of the work. They may be um, going, at, going around and doing some of the things that make them look good and have a good reputation. They might not be doing any of those things. They might just be presenting a particular perspective to the people around them. But in reality, Jesus says, I see you. I know that you are not full of the works of the Spirit. You are, have not fulfilled um, your animation in, in me. You are dead and broken. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says you should do this. Remember and repent. Remember and repent. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. And you do this through remembering and repenting. Remember, what are we remembering? We're remembering what you've received and heard, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Jesus came, he was born, he lived his life, he taught, he called people to himself, he preached, he um, performed miracles, he healed people, he was arrested, beaten, crucified, died, was buried, he was resurrected, appeared to his disciples and to over 500 people and then was raised up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is the good news, that Jesus Christ is king. Chapter one, that the image of the victorious king, this is who Jesus is. He says, I am the king. Remember what I have done. Remember what you have received and heard about me. To remember is to rehearse it's to go over the story, to tell it again and again and again, the good news of what Jesus has done in my life. I will remember, I will remember, I will rehearse the story. And to repent is to turn around. To repent is to turn around and go the other direction. So you remember the story, you chew on it, you rehearse it, you tell it to the people around you, and then you turn around and follow Christ. He says, remember 
what I have done. Turn around and follow me. Repent. Remember and repent what I have. Remember my story. And then there's a, a small, small piece of encouragement. Small piece of encouragement here. We've got it flipped around a little bit. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. This word soiled. So when you go to present an offering, when you go to the temple of Zeus, when you go to the temple of Diana, when you go to the synagogue, when you go to the, the um, when you go to the Jewish temple, you go and you have to you, you can't go dirty. You have to be clean. You have to offer your sacrifices pure, right? So if you're out with the sheep and out in the fields, you can't go straight from the fields and the sheep in to go offer your sacrifices, right? If you're home with your kids and you're changing their diapers and getting poop all over you, you can't go straight from there to go offer your sacrifices. You can't walk in with soiled clothes to offer your sacrifices. That's what Jesus says. You, you're not alive. You're dead. You're walking around as zombies looking for things to consume, not concerned about what your spirit looks like, not concerned about your own um, walk with me. And you're walking in trying to offer sacrifices in soiled clothes. Yet, there are a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. It's people who are walking with Christ, walking, having been cleaned by him, dressed in white. Um, and he says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. The Heavenly Father comes alongside his children, those who are, are following along and walking with Jesus, and he, he cleans them, and he cares for them, clothes them in white, and draws them into relationship with him. And Jesus says, I will acknowledge their name before my Father and his angels. And then there's this ending. And this is the end of each of these letters. We haven't really talked about this a lot um, yet. But I think it's really pertinent for this passage especially. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This isn't, you know, I have, I have, I have a six-year-old or a five. She's five. She's almost six turning six in like a week. It's crazy. My daughter, I, I talk to her all the time, and I say, do you hear me? Do you hear me? 
Yes, Dad, I hear you. Okay, why are you still jumping on the couch? Why? Because you're not listening. We hear all the time. If you have ears that hear, you you hear. You can hear me speaking right now. The question is, are we listening? So this is not, it's, it's whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever can hear, whoever has the capacity to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to them. This is, there's an action that comes along with this. There's a, a listening to the Spirit. There's a remember and repent to turn around and to follow Christ. To listen is to actually do something about it. So when Jesus cries out, wake up, the people of Sardis and and us here, we're, we're called to wake up, to look around and to see the dead and the dying. We live very segmented lives. We offer different things to different people. Sometimes that's a, it's a good thing, right? You walk into your job, you interact in one way um, with your boss, and you go home and you interact, interact in a different way with your spouse. You should not interact with your boss the same way you interact with your spouse. You interact one way with your kids, you interact another way with the barista at Starbucks. You should not interact the same way with those two people. But we hold things back. We live segmented lives. We interact in different ways. We offer different things to different people. We offer a mask to different people so that we can protect ourselves from the broken and dying places in us. So the question is, where is the broken and dying place in you? What is dead in you that needs to be strengthened, that needs to be, that needs to wake up? And I want to offer a very simple thing, which is not, I mean, if you would like to go talk to someone and confess the broken and, and dying place in your life, great. Go do that tonight. Go sit on the healing chair when I'm done and and offer it and be prayed for. But right now, right now, take a moment to be filled up with the works of the Spirit, to be filled up with what Jesus is doing, with the works of what he is doing, is to take those broken and dying places, the segmented pieces of your life that you don't want to offer the world, and right now, to, to say, Jesus, this is here. I see it. I acknowledge it. It is broken and dying. And I don't know what to do. And I hide it behind a mask. And then what is alive? What is animated? What is, what is living? What is dressed in white? And Sardis... There's so much that is broken. He says, there are very few among you 
who walk with clothes that are white and pure, that are not soiled. And it's important for us to grab onto the things in our lives that Jesus is doing and lift them up and say, Jesus, this is good. I acknowledge the work that you've done in this area. What is alive in you? What is broken and dying and needs to be strengthened and needs to wake up? Amen? A few minutes for responses or questions. So don't don't run in the sanctuary. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. I should raise my hand more often at just random times. <laughs> See what happens. Uh, I was really struck as you were talking about uh, well the the contrast here between Jesus, who is the, at the beginning of this passage. It says that he is full of the fullness of God. And the people he's speaking to are lacking the fullness. And then he's wearing white. He's like, a lo- there's a lot of white in the description in Revelations 1. His hair is flaming white. Um, but they are not dressed in white. And so the, it seems like the invitation is to be like Jesus. Like, how are you not being like Jesus? And what would it look like to be conformed, to be transformed into his likeness? Yeah. Thanks, Sue. Anybody else? We can pray. Jeff's making some delicious food out there, so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the picture that you offer us of you, the the victorious and risen king. Thank you that you have overcome and that through you we can overcome by your blood, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Would you dress us in in white? Would you pick us up and, and clean us off Show us more and more each day what it looks like to walk alongside you and to be more like you. In your name I pray.